I see y'all know how to praise up in here. I like that. I love that. Thank you to the praise team for leading us. I'm going to, um, one more time, thank you to the praise team. I appreciate you guys uh, helping set the atmosphere. Um, coming early and, and rehearsing throughout your week, not just rehearsing the chords and the songs and the, and the words and the sound technicians, but also rehearsing the presence of God in your life. Thanks for setting this up for us. I feel um, definitely ready to, um, to fulfill my role because of this atmosphere that's been created. So thank you all. I really do appreciate all of the folks who, not only the praise team, but those who came here ready to worship today, ready to praise God. And uh, one more time, let's give God some praise. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Kambui, and I am very, very much um, a long shot. I'm very much, uh, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed with the goodness of God in, in my life and his faithfulness on my account. And I'm glad that I can say I get a chance to be called a child of God. And, uh, and I get to come in here with my brothers and sisters and rejoice together with you in the goodness of God. Um, I'm grateful for your pastor, my friend, Pastor David. Um, I'm grateful for the, the way that he blesses uh, really everyone. Um, but he, I personally have benefited from his friendship, and I am learning constantly when I am with you, brother, and I am um, I'm growing and I am encouraged, I feel loved and supported, and it is a beautiful thing to be in true godly fellowship, and it sharpens me, and it's the reason why I'm here today. Um, I believe that God um, is using this time in creating a rhythm that is going to be the right one for this season for Pastor David, and him, him uh, trusting the Lord in that, but it requires that trust. It's like, okay, God, so what are you going to do about this this church that I love, and he's leading in all of the ways, but he can't be up here every week and preach, right? And so I'm so glad that I am friends with a guy who is humble. I know a lot of people who wouldn't do what Pastor David is doing, but like to invite me in, I don't take that lightly. I definitely spend a lot of time in prayer and asking God to give me a word that would encourage, uh, not only encourage me, but encourage the body of Christ, encourage those who haven't heard before. Uh, if there are any in the building today, we welcome you. Uh, if you're here, if someone invited you and you're just checking this thing out and you're not sure what you believe, I believe that God has a word for you today. And so I'm here um, not alone. Um, two of my mothers, both my mothers are here in the building. Uh, y'all wave your hands. My mother and my mother-in-law. In the first service, my, my family was here, but they went back over to our home church, Hope Community Church, to, uh, to serve in our Kid City department. And so they came earlier and they hopped over there to do their thing, but we definitely, um, we're one body, so it's a blessing to come together and do this. Last week, we were in part two. This will be part three and the, the closing uh, conversation for this series called Loving the Long Shot. Pastor Dave started us off really well and really uh, painted a picture that even as we look into Scripture, there's not, there's so many examples that prove the extent, or we could call it the height and the depth and the breadth of God's love for us, that there's no life that's too far gone, that God would not, um, that his gospel, his good news, his glory is not meant to redeem that story because it's too bad. That doesn't exist. That doesn't exist. There's no story that's too bad. And so we see God choosing to work in the lives of people whom maybe we wouldn't expect if we, if we didn't have our spiritual eyes on, right? And so in week two, we, we carried that message forward and we talked about this idea that um, God is actually using the unexpected people. He's actually the, the long shots. He's using them to reveal his glory. In fact, last week's bottom line was that the glory of the Lord is actually most clearly revealed through the lives of long shots. And for that, we examined the book of Genesis in the first chapter. We went to the beginning and we looked at there was something in, uh, there was a, a revelation there of the, the, the purposes for our lives by the way that God designed us. And so it's a, it's a beautiful thing when you see how God made some decisions that were peculiar, I would say. Because if we see a great power in God that all he has to do is speak a thing and that thing now is, he can establish a thing with his word. And that's wonderful because we live off of that word, praise God. But 
There was something that he did in addition to that when it came to making us. And I, I would say the distinction starts when we look at him speaking a thing and it becomes a thing and then speaking some other things and they become things and he's like, this is all good. And now I'm going to use the very thing that I created to create this next thing. And so oftentimes he'll say, well, let, let the, the, the waters bring forth this or let the firmament bring forth that. Or, and so he knew that what he had created, he had in mind ahead of time that it was enough to, to go through the generations and create all the rest of the stuff. But when he came to us, he did something different. He did something different and he said, hey, let us make man in our likeness and in our image. It's not going to be, we don't want man to be made in the image of a tree or frog or anything else that was already created, but let man be made in our image. We see in a, a different part of scripture where God actually um, reaches down into the dirt and forms us with his hands. And that is a very intimate act. That is a very special thing. And it really makes me think that God wanted his essence to be all over us. And it is important that we realize that because when he creates us and he speaks on it in the first chapter of Genesis in verse 26, he said, let us make man in our likeness and our image so that. And we, we, we slow down and pointed out the so that, that right there is important, that there's about to be what comes after that is going to reveal a truth about our creation, a truth about what we were called to be, about the purpose for our lives. And so the so that is very important. We were not made different just so that we can stunt. We were not made different just so that we can make ourselves feel like we're something special. But we were made different because there's a world that needs to be reminded of the goodness of God. There's a world that will not survive. And I'm talking about the serious of this. There's a world that has no chance of making it unless they see an image of God, unless they can find hope in Christ. And so we were made to reveal that. And so, yes, though we are long shots, though we're not perfect, though there's all kind of, we're far from perfect, there's all kind of stuff that goes wrong in us. Nevertheless, the glory of, glory of God is, is revealed. And so I told a bit of my story last week, and I told about how I was once blind to God's uh, purposes in my life, and I was blind to his immense and unending love for me. And what that caused me to do is live my life groping, right? I was living my life seeking uh, to make a name for myself. I was chasing something that would bring me the respect of my peers or that would create a security and stop me from feeling vulnerable. I was seeking success and achievement, something that would make me feel safe and satisfied and maybe that I would find peace in. But the thing is, all of those pursuits let me down. They left me feeling empty and left me feeling hopeless. And I'm going to say today, and I'm proud to say thanks to God that even when I didn't know him, even when I didn't know him, somebody's going to relate with this, that when all that I knew was darkness and emptiness and all that I knew was confusion and all that I knew was anger and frustration and I was in disoriented emptiness, God was always working all around me. That's what I love about Genesis 1. It shows that when there's darkness all over, that the Spirit of God is moving. And so he was working all around me. And guess what, y'all? He was working in me before I knew that he was working in me. And the good news is that today still, somebody say still, still God is working on me. And that's all right. And he is working on my behalf. And y'all, sometimes God is working through me. I'm hoping right now. But what's beautiful, glory to God, is that he keeps on working in spite of me. Because God is the one that's good. Come on now. I want you guys to understand something that God is not just an initiator of good works, but he is faithful to complete the work he began in us. And that is extremely important for every believer in here to understand. Because what we have been called to, it's a high calling, but it's a long road and it's a difficult road. It's a challenging road, and if we put all the weight on us, we are going to fail. He says, cast your burdens on me. I care for you. He'll take the yoke because it is a yoke of bondage to think that we're going to be able to fix what's wrong. Only Christ can do that, but he started a thing in Genesis, and he said it was good. He's faithful to complete it, y'all. I'm going to say something just like this. God is a finisher. Today's message is called The Finisher, and we're going to glorify and magnify and lift up The Finisher because God is both author and faithful finisher 
of all of our lives. He's the author of your faith. He's the author of your family. He's the author of your marriage. He's the author of all the things that he's called you to, the relationships that are in your life. He's the author and the finisher, the work that he began in you when you felt like you were right in the groove with God and somehow you slipped off and you've drifted away. He was the author of establishing you and he will finish you. Somebody say amen. It may not look good right now, but I'm going to tell you, God is still loving every long shot in this building. Every single one, there's not a person under the sound of my voice. If you're listening online, he is loving on you, and he is faithful to complete what he began. I want to uh, examine the uh, scripture that is written for us in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus here. And he, he really, this is foundational for what we're going to discuss today. This truth that we're going to lean in today, I think it starts to be revealed here. It says that we are God's workmanship. And I want to just start with that first word, we. That's all of us, every single one of us. We are God's workmanship. And I'm talking about the folks that look like they have it together and the folks that everybody can tell is all busted. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about all of us. I'm talking about the ones that, 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 that are, are kind of in the groove right now and feeling in the groove, but they're thanking God that the only reason they're in the groove is because he's done it and he's doing it and he's going to do it. I'm also talking about the person who done fell off. We are all God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which he prepared beforehand so that we can walk in those good works. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We are created in Christ Jesus because all things that were created were created by him, for him, and through him. He's preeminent in our lives so that whatever he does impacts us. Thank God that it is his work that creates our reality. Somebody say amen. We were created in Christ Jesus. Now, oftentimes we try to work out of Christ Jesus. We try to work in our own strength, and we toil and toil and toil, and all we create is frustration and pain. But in Christ Jesus, we find, much like in the garden, that the works have been prepared beforehand. There was a work that was done before you knew who you were, and all we have to do is walk in it and watch the fruit just come on out. We are his workmanship, and I believe God celebrates his workmanship and we're going to spend some time today talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And I know that Jesus shows up in the New Testament, but it didn't start in the New Testament. God did not get a good idea 2,000 years ago. God did not have frustration to say, what am I going to do? My last resort, Jesus, do something. That wasn't how it went down. See, God is a God that goes ahead. He's a provider. That means he sees pro-vider. He, he sees vider, which is to, to see, and ahead is pro. He sees ahead. This is our God. And this is what I love about him is that he always planned to redeem our stories. Amen? But we're going to talk about the gospel, and there's a lot of people in here who would say, I'm a believer, I know the gospel, I've received the gospel, I've accepted the gospel, and I'm like, praise God, that's awesome. I want to encourage you today that it should be a daily thing that we do, which is like, like a shower. We gospelize ourselves every day. We refresh ourselves in God's truth. And the gospel is a story that is beautiful, but there are some ugly parts to it. It's good news because of how ugly some of the realities are. We're going to talk about that just a little bit today, but it starts not with you're bad. It starts not with God is upset. That's not where the gospel starts. And if we think that's where the gospel starts, we're going to have a hard time engaging with this world with the truth. You see, because God is a restorer, redeemed. You understand what I'm saying? He's bringing things back, but let's start to where it was. In the beginning, we see... God's preeminence and his goodwill being communicated through his word and established. That's where the beginning was. And the reason that's important is because God is the author. It is so good that the one who started it all is the same one who can finish it. He has the ability. 
He has the knowledge. He has the know-how. You know what I'm saying? There wasn't somebody who just got a, 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 a whim and said, let's try to do earth and people. That wasn't God. We need to know our God because we can get confused at what God might be doing. We know what God is doing. We may not know just how he's doing it, but we know what he's doing. He, is, he, is, he established something and he called it good. So what he's doing is restoring it to good. And along the way, he is expanding his glory throughout the universe. Praise the Lord. The next thing that we see is that God is pleased with his creation. God is pleased with his creation, and, and, and I'm going to use this moment to talk about a law of first mentioning, which is often, it's a, it's a way of, of studying God's word. And I want to say that when we see something in Scripture for the first time, a lot of times what's happening is God is setting a foundation for, for how we should build truth on that subject within God's Word. So when he brings it up the first time, it's like, here's the truth of this thing, and use this to interpret things moving forward. The very first time we see God make commentary on his creation, he's saying it's good. God's Nature is not just an upset, disappointed person who is always looking for some reason to disqualify you. That is not the God of the heavens and the earth. He created us for fellowship. He created us because we are his children. He didn't have to call us his children. We could have been called a lot of things. How do you feel about your children? I mean, I hope you feel like you want to keep them around you. I don't always feel, hey, y'all, you know, but the Lord celebrates not only us, but all of the things he created. But he also was able to do that. How many of y'all love your kids even though you know your kids are not all together right? Come on, come on, I see. Not all together right, but you love them anyway, right? So God understood that there's going to be some challenges, but it's still good. So we have to examine what did he mean when he said it is good? At that time, God was reigning as the king of our hearts. As he created man and woman, we were together in our dependence on God. We were together in trusting God. It's important to know that we were together. You see, there is a, there's a oneness, there's a unity that we've been called to as God's children, and we were not backbiting and killing and stabbing each other in the back. We were together together and we were dependent on God, his very words, and we were trusting in him and enjoying his fellowship. And that, I believe, is what God said is good. But of course, there's always a hater. There's always a hater. I'm sure somebody knows a hater, right? Y'all know a few haters here and there? Always somebody that got something to say on your, on your, on your page, got a little comment to make. You get award at work, they want to say, mm, they didn't used to give that award. That was just a job before. <laughs> Always a hater looking at your yard. Mm. What, they lawnmower broke? What's going on here? How long they going to be on vacation? They can spend some of that money for a, a, a yard boy, right? A hater. It's like, come on, man, why you got to take my shine? Hey, you know that somebody's taking your shine when they call whatever you have little. You ever seen that? Oh, you got yourself a little job, huh? All right. It's like, why you got to add a little little in there? You know what I'm saying? But the haters may be coming, but the thing about it is, even this is not new. Like, the hater came when God created us and said it was good. All of a sudden, here come Satan, hating. You know, and he, he want to come in. And, and, and take advantage of our sin. And that's a trip right there because what I just said really is something that we need to understand. Satan didn't make us sin. We're not God. And only God is good like that, right? The only goodness in us is when we are submitted to God and he is flowing through our lives. And when we step away from that, the nature of man is to want what we don't have. And our adversary knew that. And he took advantage of our sin nature. And he offered us something, an idea that said, maybe God is withholding something good from you. 
Maybe you could get it yourself and prove that you don't need God. Maybe from here on out, you could be the one that decides what's right and what's wrong, and you don't need God to tell you that. I think you're a pretty swell person. You're a pretty good person. Go ahead and do your thing. This is what Satan does. He does it to them. He's done it to, he did it to Jesus. He does it to us. Okay? But he, he got us to abandon our trusting submission to God and his guidance and his purposes we abandoned. And as soon as that happened, we placed the crown on our own heads. Before it was good when Jesus was the crown on our hearts. But now all of a sudden, we put the crown on our own hands. And immediately after that, we started to judge each other and ourselves with skewed vision. We forgot how to see each other. You saw Adam and Eve automatically like, whoa, hey, where your clothes at? Oh, where my clothes? Oh, man, they're going to point at me. Cover up. You cover up. Oh, now we're pointing at each other. This one, that one, this one. She did it. We forgot how to see each other. Now, God sees the mess, and he promises that he's going to make things right again. This is the gospel. As we pass through the history, he says, I'm going to make this right, and I'm going to free you from the destructive power of sin, and I am going to uh, deliver us. But first, I've got to defeat that adversary, right, that tricked you and took advantage of your weakness. Things will be made right in time, but for a while, it's going to be a little unsettled. The next thing that happens is God allows us to attempt to rule from our sinful nature without submitting to him. We were created to rule, but we didn't want to submit to him, so he let us try to rule. And he let us do our thing, do me, keep it 100, you know, all the stuff that we like to do. And he just watched, and it broke his heart, all of the carnage and destruction and pain that's constantly caused because of our sin. We're not going to sugarcoat the real problem of sin today because I want to glorify God in the bigness of his grace and mercy that he's called us into. And that's only possible if we recognize that we have a problem that none of us can fix on our own, not even close. So the gospel of Jesus is so good for people like us who ain't got no chance otherwise. Somebody say amen in here? Now, at this point in history, it looks like God's good plan has been completely ruined. At this point, it looks like God may have even abandoned his good plan. You see, because this world is a true hot mess. And the the restoration and the redemption of this world is an extreme long shot. But we must remember, God is the faithful finisher. He's the faithful finisher. But in reality, the issue of sin is actually a big deal. Now, I wrote some notes about sin that I want to read for you here. I want to talk to you, and I want it, I'm, it's going to be, we're going to sit here for a minute, and I want us to, you know, there's a, there's a place in, uh, I believe it's James 4, that says we should, we should weep and lament and mourn and humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord because he wants to lift us up, but we can't be lifted up until we feel like the issue. It's a problem, and it's not a problem way back then. It's not even a problem that when you became a Christian went away. It's a constant problem. You see, sin is when we covet what we have not been given. When we are driven by an idea that we deserve more. When we don't trust God. See, I'm going to ask right now that as I read this, that you ask the Lord to speak to your heart and reveal the areas of sin that we are still wrestling with. It's better to be wrestling with sin than to let it rule you. It's all right that it's a struggle. But be honest that it's a struggle. Sin is when we don't trust God. It's when we move outside of God's provisions in his direction. It's when we feel shame because of our imperfections and our choices, and we choose to hide behind false coverings that are meant to deceive one another and stun on each other. And instead, 
We're seeing each, instead of seeing each other as God's workmanship, we point out the flaws of others and try to exploit their shame in a weak attempt to justify ourselves and our selfish actions. Sin is when we fear each other. It's when we see each other as our primary threat or competition. It's when we see others as merely objects that help us get where we're going or that's a threat and they're in our way. The result is an inability to love or experience love. And this is why God hates sin and its effect on us and our future generations. This is why we need Jesus. A key point here is that when we sin, we are no longer seeing people as people. You ever notice that? When we are wrapped up in our sin, we're no longer seeing people as people. Cain wasn't seeing his brother as his brother. He was just a problem. He's the reason why God is not accepting my offering, because this old goody two-shoes. We're not seeing people as people who live in a hard and challenging world, or people who are not as sure as they appear, or people who have had an ex- some extremely difficult seasons in their story. We're not seeing them as people who have had dreams deferred or who are worried about their children suffering or people who are wondering how their marriage came to this point or how their business is going to hold together. We're not seeing people as folks who are at times feeling uh, battles with fear and anxiety or feeling empty or lonely. We're no longer seeing people who are seemingly different or misfit from the popular culture. We don't see that there are people out there who regret how much they've messed up and how much they've lost. We're missing all of that. We're engaging with people. We're we're having conflict with people. People are rubbing us the wrong way. We're in our own sin. We need to justify ourselves. And so we're not seeing all of this compassion that Jesus sees when he looks at people. We're not seeing that there are people who are having a hard time looking at their own selves in the mirror. We don't see past what's in front of us and and, and actually see that people are just about to lose hope, starting to believe that they have no value or that their value is subject to performing according to the demands of the culture. When we sin, we are no longer seeing others as we see ourselves, as worthy of second chances and understanding and a helping hand and a faithful friend. When we are no longer, uh, when we are living in sin, we're no longer seeing people as needing to see Jesus. And we no longer see ourselves as uh, evidence bearers or witnesses of the goodness of God. When we obey our sinful nature, we are no longer focused on the purposes God has designed for us. We talked about Genesis 1 when God revealed his purposes. He made us in his image so that a world that is lost can see him. When a world forgets about the goodness of God, they are reminded when they see us. And I wanted to point out here that that they are not reminded because we are great, because we're awesome. In fact, that's going to cause us to fail almost every time, right? Because how often do you crush it? I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know about you, but it's every day that I'm like, oh, come on. One thing I love about my son, Zeke, he's seven years old. You get that boy in front of a basketball hoop, he will shoot. I mean, he's been doing this since he was four. He will shoot that ball, and he will miss by, like, seven feet. Like, he wasn't anywhere close to the rim. Run, get that ball again, come back, shoot again. Miss, run, get that ball again, and he'll just be out there. If you leave him there, he'll be out there for an hour just shooting. And what we don't know is he's like, I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. He's, he, he, listen, he's had a vision. He's seen his brother make them shots. And he's like, one day I will be able to, but right now I'm going to just keep shooting. And that reminds me of how it is as we're following Jesus. We've seen a vision of it. We've seen the express image of God. And right now, none of us are going to be perfect. In fact, if you were to use that basketball reference, the best of there ever was they're still only shooting 50, 55%. You understand? And I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't aim for excellence. When I play basketball, I'm still shooting for the hoop. I'm not shooting for the stands. 
I know that I'm not always going to make it, but I am aiming for the bottom of the net. Because God is our standard. I'm aiming, I'm, I'm trying to be conformed to the image of Christ. But I understand it's not because I'm good that it's going to work. What happens is the purposes that we were created for get left behind when we're living in sin. Sin is a real problem. It's impossible for us to stay on course with our calling when we are wrapped up and consumed by sin. It's a real problem for me and for you, for the church. It is a problem. And we got to wake up to it. Now, this gets good, y'all. There's real good news. But let me lean into this just a little bit more. I think this might unlock something for somebody. When we're in sin, we're only focused on ourselves and justifying our self-centeredness. And this causes us to actually look for problems in people in order to affirm our decision to disassociate ourselves from their well-being. We find ourselves knowing that there's a problem in us, but not wanting to deal with it. And we try to, instead of going to the justifier, we try to justify ourselves. And the only thing we can do is find someone else's problem. That's the reason why we're not the way we've been called to be. And if I don't have that reason, then I'm exposed. So I actually need you to be messed up. I'm looking for something wrong with you. Because now I can say, my neighbor's tripping. I would go over there and help him with that yard, but he got an attitude. We do it in our own homes. Yeah, people got issues, but we look for those issues so that we can justify ourselves not doing what we're supposed to do. It's destroying marriages. It's destroying relationships between parents and kids and siblings. It's a real problem. And what happens is when we do that, we make ourselves blind to the intrinsic value and worth of people whose behaviors and worldviews and stories and experiences, whose habits and hangups seem to disrupt or threaten our preferred reality. We need Jesus because we've forgotten how to see people. But the gospel of Jesus goes further. Along the way, he prophesied or he spoke through his prophets that he is going to send a savior. He gave us a promise. The thing about it is the hearts of humans were so messed up that we prefer to make believe we don't need saving. To make us feel better that we can just all play the, play the role and act like we're good. We try to do a little good works here and there. And we try to replace our good works with the works that were created beforehand. We say, oh, we don't need Jesus. We got this. We're pretty good people. Yeah. We try to justify ourselves. Next thing in history happens that Jesus actually comes. The Savior comes. And what he does when he gets here is amazing. He, because he's above us, you got to understand, he's, he's above us. He's preeminent. We were made through him. That's why we can call Jesus Father, as well as firstborn among many. Right? And so what he did affects all of us. And he perfectly fulfilled the purpose for the creation of men. And this is how he did it. He did it by living dependent on God. This is going to sound familiar to Genesis. He did it by waiting on God and obeying God. He did it by living in order to reveal God's goodness to the world. And he reminded us how to see people. You remember Jesus walking around? And he, had, he walked slowly through the crowd. He wasn't too much of in a rush for children. He wasn't in too much of a rush for a person who was sickly. He wasn't in too much of a rush for somebody who's not from his people group. He wasn't in too much of a rush for someone who everybody knows has failed many, many times. Why should I give them a chance? They're going to fail again. That wasn't Jesus. He taught us again how to see people. And then this amazing time in history, incredible time, he gave himself. Jesus gave himself as a sinless and guiltless sacrifice in order to pay the penalty and the price that we all owe because of our sin. He paid that price for every single man and woman and child, past, present, and future. He paid that with his very own life, his own blood. His body was broken. And then as he was crucified, he died and he was buried in a tomb. But it doesn't stop there, y'all. Somebody right now is in a place right now where you feel like the place in life you're in feels like it's the tomb. 
It feels like, man, there was hope. We went to the altar. We, the, the minister spoke some words, and we were, like, excited about loving each other. And then a couple of things happened, and we were on the way, and then boom. And they just kept hitting us and kept hitting us, and we lost our way, and we don't know how. And now we are sitting here in a tomb. There's no expectation of good anymore. There are relationships that have fallen apart, even siblings who were tight like this, and we haven't been tight in 15 years. There are people who have lived next door to each other for 22 years and can't depend on each other to come by and help out. There are places in our life right now that feel like it's just dead. It once had promise, but it's just dead. It's in the tomb. But that's why the gospel is so important, because God saw ahead and knew that things were being attacked. He knew that the one thing we feared the most is when you, you took enough hits and you finally, it was gone. It was done. It was dead. And now there's no reason to have a great expectation. It's a wrap. And that's why the gospel in Jesus includes him going to people who were dead and saying, hey, come on, girl, get on up. There's some come on, girl, get on up going on in here right now. Lazarus, come on out. Take off them grave clothes. He was died and he was buried. He was in that tomb and everybody walked away. They went on. They thought, the show's over. It was a good run. It would have been nice, but this is reality. And then on the third day, just as he promised, on the third day, just as he promised, he rose again. He rose again with all power in his hand, having defeated death, hell, and the grave. And I don't know why y'all ain't clapping, believers. I can't hear that without something inside of me saying, thank you, Lord. Because he did what he said he's going to do. He did what was impossible before. He did what nobody else was able to do. Raise yourself from the grave? Are you serious? That's our Lord. That's our Jesus. That's the great finisher. Now, he won victory for us on Calvary. In fact, he's on the cross and he says, it is finished. Now, that was a proclamation. We're going to talk about proclamation at the end. That was a proclamation. It is finished was for a time of the future. He said, I did this right here to ensure your victory. But there was still a lot more life to live on this earth. I want to talk for a minute about how God changed my story. Because last week I talked about how I had gotten, I was pursuing the wrong things and I ended up hopeless and I, and I didn't value my life and I was being reckless and, and there was a whole lot of bad sadness to that. But I wanted to tell you how he changed my story. And I know I don't deserve it. That's why I love the song today. I was like, man, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But he gave himself to me. I didn't expect it to be love and he showed me love anyway. He showed me that he saw me and that I wasn't just somebody who was just uh, to be cast away, a life to be thrown away. He showed me that I mattered. He showed me that the person that he made me actually mattered to this world. I read the word and the word jumped out to me. I saw Jesus in the word and I saw him in the ways that he engaged with regular people, even people who had no reason to expect that a teacher would come to them, that the, that the Son of God would come to them. He said, hey, I'm here to bust through your expectations. If you knew who was standing before you, you'd be asking for this water, and I want to give it to you. I want to give it to you. But he also revealed himself to me. I read it in the Word, and I was like, I love this Jesus, dude. I wish everybody were like this. I wish I were like this. Goodness, we need Jesus. And I did that, but yet he changed my heart when he revealed it to me through his church, through his people. I want to tell you about my sister, Michelle. My sister, Michelle, she's not my blood sister, but she, um, our families uh, live close to each other. And when you struggle, it's good to co-op sometime. And so through certain seasons, our families live together. And so at this point, she was living in our, in our home with her family, and she started going to church. A friend invited her. She became a believer. You could see a change in her life, but there was not one believer in our family. In fact, our family was kind of on the other side of things. Like, man, that's, that's, for, that's what they use to try to control us. That's where we were coming from, and it's for weak-minded people who need that. And so she knew 
she was taking a big risk to share the gospel with me. One day after washing dishes, we had teenage chores. We went out to the back porch, the patio, and she started to share the word of God with me, share the gospel as she knew it. And she knew that I would be offended. She knew that it would be something because I was a very prideful, I thought I was intellectual, and I was not ready to hear it. And she took great courage to share what she shared. And I said to her, wait, 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 hold up now. So you think I'm going to hell? And she, didn't, she never said that, but I was going to push her to say it. I was going to try to make her say it. She was like, nah, I, I was just saying that God loves you, and he died for all of us, not just you, all of us. And I was like, nah, you think because I don't believe what you think, I'm going to hell. I was trying to pick a fight with her, and she was saying, all I know is that God wants you to be a part of his kingdom. And she kept on having this conversation, and she would not engage with me in a, in a, in a kind of back and forth. Like, she wasn't, like, mad at me. I was being mean to her. I ignored her for like weeks, and she had courage, but she also showed me the relentless love of God. She kept praying for me, and she kept on understanding that there's a real me that's hidden behind this facade of self-justification, and she was praying for that real me to come to know the Lord. I did not come to know the Lord during the time that she lived with us, but years later, because of her testimony, I was ready when God brought the word to me again. I want to tell you about my best friend, Nate. Nate was revealing God to me through the, the part of God that is a friend to people. I mean, Nate is like the best friend. He was always there for me. He never let me feel like I didn't have a place or I wasn't included. And he always had my back. He was also the kind of friend that would tell me things for my own good. When I was ready to throw my life away, when I was ready to go back to some old behaviors, it was Nate that would be there and even risk me fighting him so that I didn't blow it again. He was present help in a time of need. He was closer than a brother. He revealed the things I saw in Scripture. God used him to show it to me. Nate was a, a, a man who loved to celebrate. He constantly talked about the good parts of me when there were so many other things he could have commented on. And I realized that's an aspect of God. He was letting God use him. My friend Sam... He taught me about acceptance. He wasn't ashamed to have me be a part of his role at church in student ministry when I clearly didn't know any of the words to the songs or nothing about the culture. I still cursed. I still wore my pants down to here. I still didn't really have a whole lot of respect for everything that was going on. People, I went to a charismatic church, so every now and then, and I didn't choose the church. It's just where I was, right? But, you know, folks was falling, and I was like, man, what's going on here? <laughs> Hold up. He wasn't ashamed of me, though. I could go with him every time we got in the car. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel either, so he would pull out a passage of Scripture, and we'd read a psalm or a proverb every time we got in the car. Every time after church, we'd go to his house and eat. I'm eating from his cupboard, his refrigerator, and we're having a good time as if I belong in the family of God six months before I was a believer. He showed me God. He taught me how to worship. He taught me that God is a God of communion. He wants to connect with his children, that we actually get to connect with him through worship. He told me the difference between gospel music and worship was we're not talking just about God, but we're talking to God. That was huge. My friend Clay told me how to pray. They both reminded me that God actually wants to engage with me. I'm not just a part of this big thing. I am a part of this big thing, but I'm also an individual who God knows and cares for. And I didn't think that that was something that that I had a right to be. And these guys revealed to me that God, Clay, was he, he understood that you can be who you are. He encouraged me that I didn't have to act like other church people, that you can be who you are and follow the Lord as he is leading you according to his word. And that was huge for me. It let me put down the facades and be myself. He taught me about the joy of the Lord and how laughter is a part of the kingdom and how God loves to laugh and celebrate and how they get together around tables and just have a good time. The people of God taught me that. I had a friend named Carlos who had two sisters and cousins named Trina and Leanna. And when my family did not go to church, and I'm telling you, like, they did not follow the Lord, we had no holidays. When we're talking about Christmas, I never celebrated Christmas, not one time growing up, because my parents were like, hey, we don't celebrate Jesus, so why are we celebrating Christmas? I was like, because uh, everyone else is, and there's presents. Uh, but no, 
We didn't, and I never had a tree one time. And so you think about special holidays for believers. We're talking about Easter and Good Friday and, and things like that, Resurrection Sunday. Um, I would be invited to Carlos's house and his cousins, and they all would gather, a big, huge Filipino family, and we'd have a ton of lumpia and adobo and, and eating good. But they always made sure that whatever we were doing, there was a place set for me. In fact, for Christmas, there would be gifts in my name. There would be a, a stocking for me. I always felt like I was a part of the family of God. When we took communion, they made sure that they explained everything to me. They knew I was a new believer, but I was always a part of it. They showed me God's inclusion and his hospitality. I'm coming to a close here. There's a, a, a Kenny and Cheryl Hamilton, a couple. They were adults, and they used to open up their homes so that students can meet there and have a small group. And so they didn't lead the small group. They didn't hardly talk. But what they did is made sure that we had a place. They opened the doors. They made sure there was food. They made sure there was a safe place. And they gave us rides home, and they prayed for us while it was going on. And they, I realized that they were showing me how God champions other people. And they didn't need to be the center or the hero of our story. They were very heroic to me, but they got out of the way and said, let God move. God's building y'all up. And then there was a man named Daryl Hannah. She was an usher at my church. Now, I went to a mega church. And in my church, there's a lot of people that were way more important than I was. But this man saw me and he said, hey, what are you doing for Mother's Day? I was like, I don't know, I'm going home. He said, did you buy your mama some roses? I said, nope. He said, come with me. Took me to buy roses for the first time in my life. Up until that point, I just would grab things from someone's backyard. Um, I didn't realize that you actually went and bought roses and spent money on it. <laughs> but um, he took me to, to get roses for my mother and how to select a good rose. And he did that every year for several years. He also took me to get my first suit at the clothing broker and taught me how to get measured. And he bought me my first Stacey Adams. I don't know if some of y'all remember Stacey Adams. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. And he taught me the love of a father. He taught me what it means to father a community even when you're not the biological father. He taught me that everyone has value and a little bit of investment goes a long way. He's revealing God to me. Romans chapter 12 verse 6 says this, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God's given you the ability to prophesy, then speak out with as much faith as God has given you. And if your gift is serving others, then serve them well. And if you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, then give generously. And if God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. If you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Now, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them and hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Hey, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Now, this could be a straight handbook on how to see each other. The, world, the, the, the word says that they will know that God sent us because of the way we love each other. Teaching us here that, hey, you all have different gifts. Use what you have. Because you're showing people God when you use what you have and you walk in your purpose. The gospel continued on, and it said that after he resurrected, Jesus showed himself to the disciples. And that means all the disciples. are like hundreds and even thousands. But to the 12, he spent some special time. And I, I don't have a lot of time to get into this, but a beautiful moment happened when he found Peter on the beach. And it's significant because of the people in the room right now who might be wondering if you still have a calling in God because you started with God and somehow it fell off or you, you kind of drifted and maybe you're not walking in the way you used to walk. And I want you to know how he dealt with Peter. Now, Peter was pretty, he was one of the close guys with Jesus. And he was so close with Jesus that he felt like, you know what, Jesus, I'm kind of like your best disciple. In fact, in fact, when everybody else, if you think everybody's leaving you, you can bet I'm the one that's not going to leave. I'm the one that will be here. 
He's telling Jesus. And Jesus said, that's cute. But in fact, you, sir, will deny me three times tonight. Before morning. And he couldn't believe it at that time, but lo and behold, Jesus was arrested. He was accused. He was on a, a, a whack trial. He was beaten. And here's uh, Peter not quite going all the way in, but kind of being nearby just to see that was happening. So already he's sensing, I don't want to put myself in too much danger. And then he is sitting by a fire, and a lot of people are warming themselves by a fire. And at this place, he was asked, hey, aren't you with Jesus? Aren't you one of those guys that follow him? And he was like, nah, not me. Wait a second, you're the dude that cut my cousin's ear off over in that garden, right? I know you, man. You're with Jesus. Nah, I'm not with Jesus. Y'all better stop playing with me. At this fire, he denied him three times. So fast forward, Jesus was crucified. He died, was buried. Peter is one of the guys that was like, yo, I, I, don't, I can't believe this is where we at. How we get here? And I, I didn't think I was going to leave him, but I guess it doesn't matter because he out here dead, and I'm going to just go back to my old life. And he did that. And here he is on that, that, that fishing boat, fishing, and not, he's toiling, but he's not getting anything. He's working, but it's not working. And then Jesus says, you got to do the work I called you to do. Jesus on the side, like, yo! Now, he's kind of, he's, he's disguised right now. So at the first, they can't tell it's Jesus. He doesn't look like himself. And he's like, hey, hey, fishermen, y'all, put the net on the other side of the boat. Now, they had done this before. In the beginning, he met them back at the place where he met them before. And he says, just like I had a calling for you then, I got a calling for you today. Hear my voice and follow. And so they said, all right, we're going to put it over here. They didn't know it was Jesus until all of a sudden all them fish got into their net. And it was so much that it brought back to memory what happened before. And Peter was like, it's the Lord. And all of a sudden, he just jumps in the water. And he just swims. He's like, I'm not waiting for y'all to turn this boat around. I got to get to Jesus. And I imagine that along the way, he probably was reminded of how he denied Jesus. And I wonder what he expected when he saw Jesus. That Jesus would be like, for real? You're the only one that's going to stay, right? Bro, you was the first person to leave. What you talking about? I thought you was going to be the rock, man. Nah, that's probably what he expected, but that's not what happened. When he got to the shore, Jesus had already had fish frying. He had a nice little fish fry going. He sure did. And he was just sitting there, and he was like, hey, come on in, bro. Hey, get you a seat. Get them dominoes. Let's go. Right? And so, I mean, some of y'all know the spades came out. It was, it was going down. It was everything he did not expect. Jesus said, hey, the last time you were around fire, you were thinking failure. Now you're thinking family. From now on, I'm going to replace that memory with this one. You are forever family, and don't forget it. And if you're in this room today and you're wondering if God still has a call on your life, if he still wants to reveal himself to the world through you, maybe because you have drifted away from what he's called you to, I'm telling you that you are forever family. Come on, praise God. And God is good that way. He gave all of them the great commission, which we share to this day. The world still needs to see him. He ascends to the most high place. He has the most high name. He's sitting next to the Father on the right side. And because he knows our world intimately, and he knows how challenging it is, and he knows when the flesh is unchecked, it is almost impossible. Almost. He intercedes for us. He speaks to his father and evokes his father's love for us, and he proudly proclaims us as his own. He knows we're long shots, but he loves us. He loves us. And we are transformed by his spirit as we walk in the good works which he prepared beforehand. As we step out in obedience, we are transformed. He's shaping us to this day. Do you understand that God understands that you're not a finished product yet, but he's not in a rush with you. He's shaping you. The fun things and the difficult things, he's using it to shape you. Every time you choose to obey Christ, every time you choose to trust that voice that's telling you to do the things you've been called to do, to step up when you're tired, every time you come along somebody, every time you sit with somebody who is hurting, every time you show up for someone who's alone, every single time that you listen more than you talk and you hear from your loved one, you are letting God shape you, and he is shaping you into an image that reflects him so that the world around you will not just see you, they will see your brokenness, but through your brokenness, they will see him. 
We're closing with Luke 4. Luke 4, verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, when I tell you this, I need you to catch this. This is going to be key. This is Jesus quoting Isaiah. And he's picking up a scroll that has some, some holy words on it that all the people who he's talking to are familiar with. And so he goes into Nazareth. By the way, Nazareth is like, uh, it's not the place that everybody wants to live. You understand what I'm saying? And he goes there to do some proclaiming. And he says, hey, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and the recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free. These are really great things. Freedom, sight, recovery. You know, like he, he's, he's, he wants to do these things, but we got to remember who he wants to do it for. We're talking about the poor. We're talking about the, the ones who are in prison. We're talking about the ones who are blind and can't understand, the ones whose decisions have caused them to be stuck in a rut. We're talking about the ones who have maybe believed a lie and can't get past it, so they're captive to it. The poor, these are the long shots. It says, I want to proclaim something, and I want to break down that word proclaim. If we split it up, you got pro, which means ahead or in advance. You've got claim, that means to assert the truth of something, particularly something that is in dispute. So ahead of time, Jesus on the cross said, I'm redeeming you. Your story still matters. Ahead of time, he says, no matter what you get into, if you believe in me, I will save you. This story ahead of time says, I know you're going to go through some rocky seasons, but I will be there with you, and your story does not end with that. It doesn't end in defeat. He proclaims ahead of time. He says, even while it's still in dispute, and all the evidence might say otherwise, I'm calling you victorious in my name. And he gave us eyes to see, spiritual eyes to see, so that everyone we look at, we see the victory of Jesus everywhere that it stirs us up, that we're motivated but because we know how big of a deal sin is in our life and in our world and how God can conquer everything because he conquered death, hell, and the grave, that he has something of a life and a redemptive story for every single person. It's the good news for every long shot. And I'll go as far as to say this, that our bottom line today is that the good news, the gospel of the finisher, Jesus, is only for long shots. And if I let that linger for a while, I do that on purpose because I don't want anyone to sit here and, and wonder, hey, am I a long shot? Sure you are. Better believe it. Listen, wide is the way that leads to sin and death. Straight and narrow, the way that leads to life. It ain't easy. We need a shepherd because we, like sheep, go astray. Every single one of us have a sin problem. Doesn't matter what neighborhood you're from. Doesn't matter if your parents were, had a strong marriage and they, and they provided everything you needed at home. It does not matter whether you went to a good school or a bad school. It doesn't matter if you've got a great portfolio or you are currently receiving government assistance. It doesn't matter if you, you were sick once and you coded out and your heart stopped. That's a great story. It's also a great story if you are hanging in there and not giving up on your marriage. All of us are alongside, and if we're going to let, if, we're, if people are going to see Jesus through us, it has to be Jesus because there's no other way. We got one shot at this thing. I like that movie. Uh, what is it called? Endgame. Endgame. When they, they were like, listen, there's one way of all the options of everything that all the ways this can go. Only one of them turn into life. And we got to remember, there's something very similar to that in our world. We can keep toiling and toiling and trying and fronting and facading and all that stuff, but the only thing that leads to life is Christ Jesus in us. It's the only hope of glory. Somebody say amen. Would you stand today? Right where you are, I want you to consider what you're going to do with this message. The same way I've been praying at home, God, why'd you give this message to me? What should I do? 
we treasure God's word and we treasure the opportunity to come together together and hear it, right? So a response is important. The first thing is, and you all can, you know, begin to bow your head. And the reason I say that is because I want you to, while you're listening to me, I want you to begin to listen to God. Ask God, give him free reign in your heart right now. Open the door to your heart and say, God, search me and see what's there. Because sin is a big deal for all of us. For some of us, it is simply, I got some unrepented sin. We all have it, so there's no need to be ashamed, but it ain't okay. I have some unrepented sin. Maybe there's something that I left unsettled that I need to go back and deal with. Maybe it's an attitude. But I know if I let it go and I don't think it's a big deal, it will distract me from the purposes of God. And I can't have that. If you're in this place with every head bowed and every eye closed, just raise your hand if you're saying, I have some unrepented sin. I see you. That's all. My hand is up as well. There are some in this room who are hearing the gospel today, maybe for the first time, or maybe it's been a while since you were able, or maybe you never heard it quite like this. Maybe it's speaking to you in a different way today, and you're realizing that there was such a heavy burden of sin that you couldn't deal with on your own, but the, the, the grace of God in Christ Jesus is so compelling that you're like, I need to walk with him. I need to be with him. I need to follow him. I need to make sure my life is with him from here on out. I want to make a choice today to follow Jesus. If that is you today, I want you to raise your hands where you're at. I see your hand. I see your hand. Praise God. I see your hands. Thank you, Lord. And there are others in here who maybe you've been a member of a church a while, but you haven't been baptized. And maybe you were baptized as a child before you understood all that Jesus had done for you, before you understood the gospel, before you understood about giving your life to him. I don't know. Maybe you're saying, I thought it was something that you do once you become like a really super good Christian. But you're hearing today, and I'm here to say that your next step, if you haven't been baptized, is to be baptized so that you can walk in the newness of life that was granted in Christ Jesus, that we could die to ourselves and live again. And it's so important that you realize this, that after after baptism, you can be assured that you have died with him, and no matter what pit you ever find yourself in, you raise with him. If you're in this room and your next step you believe is baptism, or at least you want more information, go ahead and raise your hand. I see these hands. I see these hands. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Lastly, if you're in the room today and you're saying, goodness, I'm hearing that we are made for a purpose, we're made to reveal God, and and that our whole life is devoted to that, but my life doesn't look like that, and I want it to. I'm I'm so sidetracked. Maybe I get caught up with my own agenda. Maybe I am concerned with justifying myself. Maybe I I have so many fears of losing something that I, I don't have time to see people the way Jesus sees people, but I want that, and I need help with the next step. God, help me. If that's you, go ahead and throw your hand up. I see your hands. I see your hands. God is calling his church. Before we pray, I'm going to circle back one more time because none of us come to Christ except by the Spirit of God. The Spirit draws upon our heart and says, hey, come, I'm calling you. And if you hear that tug, if it's tapping on your heart and you didn't respond because you're focused on something else or there's some kind of distracting idea that's different than, hey, come to Jesus right now, then I want to give you one more opportunity that if you're in here and you know that God's tapping on your heart for any of the things we talked about, to go ahead and raise your hand now. It's an acknowledgement. I see that hand. I see that hand, and that's, that's all right. Praise God. I want to pray for you. And then after we pray, if you made a decision today, I encourage you, after we release everyone, to come on up. I want to talk with you. Pastor David is here. There may be some others who are here to pray with you. If you got to run, tell someone you came with. Have some accountability so that the adversary does not come and snatch your decision away from you. Because now is the time. Father, we thank you for moving upon our hearts with your word, for bringing us together as one body so that we in humility would see how greatly blessed we are in you, that we would be more acquainted with the the tremendous uh, breadth and, and depth and width 
and height of your love, Lord. And we thank you, God, that we are learning more. Our eyes are, are, of our understanding are being enlightened to the hope, God, the great hope in our calling, this high calling that was there in our creation, that we would be with you, dependent on you, and that dependence on you would, would reveal through all of life's circumstances, reveal the goodness of you, our God, to a world that needs to see it. Lord, reconnect us with our purpose and revive your church, Lord, in our communities, the places where we live and learn and work and play. We pray, God, that you would make us a church that is alive and that we would see each other and love each other in a way that's compelling to a world that needs to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to stay here if there's anyone who needs prayer. If there's anyone who made a decision, please come and talk to me. Pastor David is here as well. Everyone else, have a great day. It's been good being with you.